Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. I'm Randall Sanders, happy to be back with you once again, joined as always by Jeremy Spector and by Ronan O'Shea. Gentlemen, how are we doing this evening? Pretty good. I'm doing pretty good, yeah. Cubs just swept the Dodgers, world champs got swept out of Wrigley, no complaints right now. You know, that's a, that's a real good feeling when a, a team... And I'd just like to point out, you know, two of the most exciting, perhaps the most exciting games of the season that I had an opportunity to go to last two nights. And Randall J. Sanders turned me down. He turned me down for both nights. So I'm a little disappointed. You know, Jeremy, I'm just as disappointed as you are. Sometimes You missed out two of the most exciting games. Sometimes work timing just can't be worked around. Uh, And hopefully as we get into the summer, that will be less and less of an issue. So we'll jump right in talk about the last two Cubs series since we last convened. It was another pair of mercurial series for our Chicago Cubs. They started their road trip in Cincinnati, and as they so often have done this year, they lost two out of three. We said on our last edition that if the Cubs could pitch in that series, they might stand a chance of winning the series, and they did not, especially. Jake Arrieta suffered a thumb uh, abrasion, he calls it, a cut on his thumb. He did not pitch especially well in game one. The offense came around, but it was too little too late, and they dropped that game 8-6. to The Saturday game was a nice surprise. They pitched pretty well, and they got just enough offense to make that stand up. Nico Horner, just up from the minors, had himself a big day. He goes 3-for-3 with a double, an RBI, a walk, and a run scored. And even though I did not see this game live, Jeremy filled me in on the bullpen details. They were very good following four innings of Zach Davies. They pitched five innings, allowed only two hits, no runs, striking out eight. And then the real barn burner, the rubber game of that series, Sunday, where they lost a thrilling 13-12 to decision. A home run derby in that game where the Cubs hit five home runs. They allowed five home runs. And unfortunately, Ian Happ and Nico Horner were both injured in that game, suffering a collision in the shallow outfield. Ian Happ has yet to land on the IL. Nico Horner has with some soreness and some injuries from that collision. But he does expect to be back uh, as soon as possible. We will touch on that a little later on. And then the Cubs came home and their luck turned pretty good with a rainout on Monday night. They played a doubleheader on Tuesday and both ends of those doubleheader happened to go very favorably for them. Kyle Hendricks shook off some of his recent struggles. He pitched a complete doubleheader shortened game, seven innings, allowing only one run on a solo home run, seven hits, a walk and six strikeouts. And the offense took Clayton Kershaw destined eventually for the Hall of Fame And they slapped him around a little bit, scoring four runs off of him in only one inning. The most pitches in the first inning of a start in his career at 39 and the shortest start of his career at only one inning pitched. In the nightcap of that game, they took another thrilling victory, four to three, walking the Dodgers off in nine innings, again in a doubleheader shortened game. Keegan Thompson, another young pitcher up from the minor leagues, He was very encouraging. He pitched three and two thirds. He walked two. He gave up two hits. He struck out two. And he kept a powerful Dodgers offense at bay long enough for the Cubs to endure Trevor Bauer. And they lasted long enough to come back and win in extras despite being down in extras. And then finally, uh, looking for the sweep again yesterday, Wednesday, the Cubs won another thrilling game in extras. They walked it off six to five in the 11th inning. Advert Alzale making yet another start. He was once again very good. He allowed two runs on three hits. He walked one, struck out seven in five innings. Uh, He would not have come out to pitch the sixth inning. He left the game with what they called a dizziness spell. He checked out. He said he was fine. 
And the Cubs overcame two, not one, but two extra innings deficits uh, with the extra innings rule to walk it off and go for the sweep. Guys, this is what we said the Cubs were going to be all season. They'd be down, they'd be up, they'd make you wonder, are they bad? Are they good? Did we learn anything from these two series that we didn't already know? Baseball's crazy. I mean, I guess we knew that. It's a crazy sport, but it really was reinforced here in the last week. Uh, uh, kind of up and down week, obviously. And, you know, it's, it's interesting about this team this year is that you feel like they're on the cusp of the wheels falling off, them falling five to ten games under 500 and just everything becoming a mess. And then they turn around and they play some really good baseball, coming from behind late, winning in their last bat multiple times against the world champs. That uh, Red Series was frustrating, though, because I thought both the Friday game and the Sunday game were winnable. And you go there, you're, you're coming off of getting slapped around in Atlanta, you go to Cincinnati, you really want to win division series, even if a sweep is a difficult thing to do, especially Sunday, where you get multiple times the offense stepping up, half homering, Baez homering, everybody seemed to contribute, and they just couldn't put it together. So for them to come back from that, come to Wrigley Field to get the rain out Monday, have these wins, I mean, they beat some of the best pitchers in baseball this week at Wrigley Field. You're talking about Cy Young winners in Bauer and Kershaw and then Bueller the other day. It's really fun to see the Cubs playing like this. this is, so this is kind of how it is. It's, it's a frustrating year when you think they're down and out, they come back and they get hot. And I know, Jeremy, you got some thoughts in the last two weeks, but I just want to say quickly, you've got to beat up Pittsburgh this weekend. You can't go from sweeping the world champs to falling on your back and winning maybe one game this weekend. So well, I know we'll get a chance to talk about that more, but I think there's momentum around this team right now. You're getting guys all over the bench to contribute. I mean, we've knocked Duffy at times on this show. He's contributing to this team right now. He's coming in, he's putting the bat on the ball and it's helping the Cubs win games. And it's fun to see it. Rizzo hitting walk-offs that never gets old. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, agree with most of what, almost all of what you said there. Uh, obviously just to start at your finish a little bit, uh, Matt Duffy coming uh, huge. I mean, without Matt Duffy last couple games, Cub, where are the Cubs? Uh, and another guy you want to mention uh, who's been huge for the Cubs is Jake Marisnik. Uh, with yeah, some of the outfield troubles guy. they've had, Ian Happ going down, he's been he's cut down on his strikeouts. He's been walking more. He's making more contact. I didn't even think he you know could hit righties, and he's hit he had a home run off Bueller. He's had some huge hits off of righties. So another guy who's been playing well that you wouldn't really expect to kind of take it. Um, agree with you about Pittsburgh, which we'll talk about later, but. You know, baseball is crazy, as you said. Yep. And one another example of baseball craziness, look at the Dodgers. Everybody thought there's people, smart baseball people that are going in this year, they're like, Dodgers are going to win like 120 games. You know, they're going to be the greatest team of all time. They, they're they what, 4-14 four and 14 in their last 18 games? That's crazy yep. for a team, the defending champs. They're obviously a very good team. They're going to turn around. They're not going to have issues. But it just shows how crazy baseball is. You look at Sunday – you're thinking after the Ian Happ collision, uh, you know, Cubs kind of were really in a tough spot, with a spot in the order they came up with in extra innings, like without Happ in there, having to have Walters, pitcher spot, and Arietta bat, they were kind of screwed. And you're after that game, you're like, you know, 13-12, we had our chances. That was We need to win that game with the Dodgers coming to town. You, you're probably at your lowest of the lowest. You're 12-16, and 16, you're four under, you're five back. And I admitted I was pretty down. And then to come back and have, first of all, to go off on Kershaw. And then yeah. you get 
that game two, you're pretty much in control the whole time. Kimbrell finally gave, I mean, they had some opportunities. They should have added on more, but Kimbrell finally, you know, gave up the run. He, uh, a little slider that caught too much of the plate. Max Muncy hit it out, but you come back from that. You get Javi Baez. I mean, Dylan Maples was all over the place, gave up, but they were able to hold it to two runs. And then Javi Baez comes up down to your final out and you, he yep. hits a huge bomb. And they come back and they win the game. And the same thing happens in game uh, last night. Albert Alzley was very good for his first four innings. Fifth inning, got in a little bit of trouble, a couple hard hit balls. I mean, Dodgers are a good team. If they see you a couple times, they're going to hit you. But still, didn't give up, only gave up two runs. Uh, Ross said he would have come out either way. It was, really wasn't the dizziness that took him out. It was just he was going to come out no matter what after Marisnik Homer. Um, but, you know, you got more good – for the most part, you've gotten more good uh, – bullpen pitching you got it in in uh game two of the doubleheader you got it last night for the most part i mean maples as i mentioned struggled alec bills had some issues although you know there was the rizzo kind of botch with the uh, javi play that should have gotten out of it and a very and a very good play uh you know by uh jock it was jock or jake where they cut the guy down at, at home to uh, uh that the dodgers eventually challenged but was up upheld as it should be um, as an out, but you know, that's the type of win. Those are type both coming down the final out, by the way, those are uh, Matt Duffy coming up huge. Those are the type of wins that could really propel you going forward. So hopefully, as you said, Pittsburgh coming up, Pittsburgh's not good. Actually, if you really look at the schedule coming up, it's kind of a favorable schedule. I mean, you get two games against Cleveland, but then Detroit is terrible. Nationals aren't really playing that well. You have four games against them and they have some injuries it depends on matchups. You'll probably get Scherzer, but outside of Scherzer, their pitching hasn't really been that good. So like, this is an opportunity here. I would say over the next 10 games or so that the Cubs can really propel themselves. They want to be competitors in this division. Jeremy, to touch on two things that you mentioned a moment ago, the relay that uh, cut down Justin Turner at the plate and kept that to a manageable deficit. It was actually started by Chris Bryant playing center field at that point. Oh, you're right. I forgot he was in center. So okay. again, more versatility from your, your star player. And another thing you mentioned about uh, Jake Marisnik, who has been huge off the bench for the Cubs this year. It's an extremely small sample size right now. He has 35 plate appearances against right-handed pitching so far this season, but he's OPSing almost 400 points higher than his career numbers against right-handed pitching. Now that probably won't last. It will even out as numbers typically do, but in the early going again, that's been huge with some of the injuries in the outfield. It's great to have a, a very capable and very talented outfielder that you can plug in there in center field and you don't miss a step. So that's one, one reason why the Cubs are not nearly as far underwater as they could be in the early going here with some of their struggles. Yeah. Right, and you got to say, oh, go ahead. I was going to say with Marisnik, while he's hitting the ball hard, as Rail mentioned, obviously he would drop a little bit, but he is hitting the ball hard and 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 walking more and having more contact. So you'll see the numbers there. But you you would expect him to drop. But you also expect Jock and Half when he gets healthy to kind of improve. So I feel like that'll balance out. I think also you can't understate the MVP's back. Chris Bryant's his oh, old yeah. self two war player already, you know, looking at what Chris Bryant has done this year, not only has he been among the team, the league leaders rather an extra base hits. So he's clobbering the ball over the field. He's done everything you could ask of him. He's played third base. He's played first base. He's played right center and left. He's played more games in the outfield this year than he's played in the infield. And he hasn't played third base since Ray day, April 20th. That was the last time he played third base. So 
this guy is an MVP. He's playing at that level. He's maybe the most unselfish player on the field. That's as exciting as anything that we've seen up to this point. And uh, my only point on that to remain is pay the damn guy. You got to keep him on the North side of Chicago. Definitely. You hope, you hope it's looking like his MVP season of 2016. I mean, he's been better with the bat so far and he played 48 games in the outfield in 2016. So, you know, he, he moves around and I, I have to agree with you, obviously. I, I've been someone who had been kind of skeptical of Bryant till, you know, last year, a couple of injuries over the preceding years, not hitting the ball as hard as he used to. He's been, he's been a monster this year. You know, I expect yep. him to drop back a little bit, obviously, but he's still been a monster and he's been clutch and he's been huge. And then you get a guy like Rizzo who's been struggling a little bit, but still coming up in a big spot last night. I thought it was perfect. I almost was happy. He got to two strikes on Rizzo. Cause I felt like, you know, he's going to choke up on the bat. He's going to try to put this ball in play. He's not going to try to do too much. And he did exactly what he had to do. He choked up on the bat. He got a pitch on the outside corner of the plate and he, he just whacked it hard to where there nobody, there was nobody. I had a perfect view. I was overlooking the whole pl- the field. I, the moment he hit that ball, I was like, there's nobody there. There's a hole right there. And he just perfectly placed it right there. So I, I, Getting to two strikes, I thought was almost a benefit for him. Totally, totally, and I and I think it's just been fun. Good teams or teams that win divisions, win ninety plus games, they get contributions from all over, and that's what the Cubs have been getting. David Bodie with some big hits here in the last week, some amazing defense all over the infield as well. That's what you want to see, and they got to keep it going versus Pittsburgh. Uh, one other point on that too, it's just so refreshing with. Keegan Thompson out there, just that type of presence on the mound is so much nicer to see than Zach Davies flailing for a couple of innings. Cause at least with a guy like him, yeah, there's going to be some rough outings. Advert has looked really good at times this year, that slider in particular, you get the sense these guys are going to be around for a while and there's huge upside with these guys. So it's just more exciting to see that. Um, Even if there's going to be ebbs and flows in terms of their performance, that at least has me feeling like, okay, this organization's pointed in the right direction here, and they've got some young talent, particularly in the rotation. And speaking of Keegan Thompson, one other guy I want to mention who we have not mentioned right yet is Justin Steele, who was mm-hmm. huge in his moment, and I loved him coming off. I, I was going nuts when he was coming off because I saw it the whole way just walking off. And I'm like, he's going crazy, and I loved him going. But he's looked really good, I thought. He's, he's had good stuff, a, a great uh, breaking ball. And so Justin Steele, I, I honestly – depending on how things go, I, I feel like he's another guy you could possibly stretch out whether or not you want to put him in the rotation, but like he could be a, a, a arm from the left side coming out of the These bullpen. kids can play, Randall. So they can. And Jeremy, one more <laughs> point about Justin Steele, who earned his first major league win uh, the other night as he, uh, as he did. Uh, he had a, a quote the next morning. He attributes this to his mother, but he said, um, if you've got butterflies in your stomach, make sure they're all flying in formation. I have no idea what that means, but I like the sound of it. So congratulations to him on that first major league win and that, that big show of emotion coming off the mound before the Cubs won it. Uh, Ronan, and I just right. want to say uh, just with the butterflies, he kept his head in the game. Like there was a, a check swing that he clearly was not agreeing with the first base ump on. And I didn't either. And he, he fought back and got the strikeout, but you could see like, he was just like, no, but he kept it. He kept the focus. So. That's nice to see from a young guy. It's great to see poise from a young pitcher. It's so easy even for an established veteran to, to lose focus in a moment like that. Uh, it, it's great to see uh, pitchers, not just players, but pitchers that the Cubs have developed come up and contribute because that's one 
area where they've had some trouble developing in the last few years, even under the Theo Epstein administration, was developing useful and enduring major league pitchers. Mm-hmm. And Randall, I got a butterfly anecdote as well, so let's bring this thing home. There is a popular family attraction here just north of Denver called the Butterfly Pavilion. And it's this uh, indoor family center with all these butterflies. And Randall, the mad scientist you are, next time you're in town, we got to get you in the Butterfly Pavilion. I would love to visit the Butterfly Pavilion. Majestic creatures that they are, the world would be a poorer place without butterflies, Ronan. Before we look ahead to the next few series, the Cubs have suffered a rash of small injuries in the last week or so. Jake Arrieta, Nico Horner, and Dan Winkler all on the injured list right now. Arietta, as we mentioned, he has what he calls a thumb abrasion, a cut on his thumb that he said was preventing him from really fully controlling his pitches in his last outing. Nico Horner suffered um, some bodily injuries as he collided with Ian Happ in the outfield. And Dan Winkler appears to have developed about a forearm tendonitis. Arietta and Horner are expected to only miss the minimum time they both expect to be back when the 10 days are up. Winkler, I would imagine, is probably uh, a little longer of a time frame. Um, but they, they endured that Dodger series without them. I think they're going to miss uh, Horner most of all because he was hitting particularly well since his recall from the minor leagues. Winkler, you know, I hope he gets well soon. Um, walking the tightrope with him, not something I considerably miss. But, you know, I hope he gets well soon. And Arietta does not sound especially concerned. It sounds very much like an issue that will heal up just fine in the 10 days. It's not structural. It's just a little skin thing on his thumb. So hopefully that won't be a particularly enduring issue for him. Again, he does not sound particularly worried. And with the upcoming off days, they are in a yep. good position to endure these small injuries and hopefully come out stronger on the other side. And that is an excellent seg to looking ahead where the Cubs this weekend welcome the Pirates into Wrigley once again for what seems like the 15th, 16th, 17th time already this season. And the next week they go to Cleveland for two games of one of these recent developing home and home four-game series across the course of the season, two in the other ballpark, and two at Wrigley. Ronan and Jeremy, you both said this earlier, the Cubs need to make hay against the Pirates this weekend. There's, there's no other option. No, no, you got you to gotta beat up those Parrots and uh, take care of business at home. They've really split it up to this point with Pittsburgh. Played them a lot in that first week of the season, and it's time now. You just got to get hot after beating the Dodgers. Keep it rolling. Um, I will say, though, like so from the Cubs perspective, the two days off next week, really kind of good timing for them. They've got a couple of guys that are banged up and they've got a weaker opponent this weekend. As a fan, it sucks. I hate two off days in one week. You're trying to get in the rhythm of the season. April's bad enough with all the off days built around opening day and the extra Mondays that they get off. Now you're into May. It's like, okay, let's play some baseball every day. Two off days in the middle of the week, Jeremy. I'm, I'm no fan of that. No, I'm no fan of it either. You know, you always want baseball every day. When there's like no baseball game, it kind of feels like you're like, well, what am I supposed to do today? Like, you know. but It's like uh, something's you, missing. Yeah, Exactly. But it's good for the Cubs a little bit to help them heal. Uh, as you mentioned, Arietta had that thumb abrasion uh, that he said he couldn't really throw his uh, cutter or slider and that, you know, everybody could crush it like Joey Votto. But uh, who apparently also has a thumb issue now, maybe fractured his thumb. But uh, he's expecting to make his uh, next start against Detroit. So he should be coming back. And uh, Hap, should, they said, could possibly be back tomorrow. So we'll see about that. But as you say, with this Pirates series, you know, this you're right. The first two uh, week of the season, they played them, what, six times, mm-hmm. split with them. Shouldn't have been that 
now they have a chance, you know, you, you at least, I, I don't want to put numbers on it, but you, you, you got to win the series. You want to yeah. take two, you're whole, you're shooting for three. Cause this is not that good of a team. The Cardinals just went through them. They just totally obliterated and the Cardinals offense couldn't do anything and kind of can't do anything after going playing the pirates, but they went to the pirates and they totally obliterated them. So, you know, hopefully the Cubs can do the same and they can get some decent pitching, maybe Davies, Williams, Hendricks looked good in his last start. You can really get them on track. So, and to give you some pitching matchups for this upcoming series with Pittsburgh tomorrow, the, the Friday game, game one will be old friend Trevor Cahill, a member of the 2016 Cubs. He'll pitch against Zach Davies. Uh, Saturday, we get Will Crow versus Trevor Williams, again, starting against his former team. And then Sunday on Mother's Day, we get Tyler Anderson versus Kyle Hendricks just off that great start against the Dodgers in game one of the doubleheader this week. It, it doesn't line up perfectly for the Cubs. You would hope Zach Davies can kind of re-elevate his game and, and at least pitch decently against the Pirates. You would hope the same for Trevor Williams. Hendricks, I don't worry about one bit. He's one of the smartest pitchers on this roster. If there's a problem, he'll find it, he'll diagnose it. And as we saw, he apparently did so in his uh, outing against the Dodgers this last week. Um, so as we said, the Cubs, the Cubs need to win at least two out of three, and hopefully they will. And to introduce some new material to the podcast, friend of the podcast and proprietor of Cubs Weather, Alexander Hall, who has been on the podcast with us previously, he was nice enough to write up some forecasts for us for the Pittsburgh series and the Cubs visit to Cleveland next week. He describes the series vibe for this weekend against Pittsburgh as a mid-October Bears game, as it will be, it will be a little bit chilly out there. Uh, tomorrow, the Friday game, partly cloudy. There will be a small chance of maybe an isolated shower, probably very little chance of a delay. Temperatures will only be in the low to mid-50s, and the wind will be 5 to 10 miles an hour in from left field and left center field. Uh, but again, the rain chances are minimal. The game should be dry for the most part. So again, it will be chilly at Wrigley tomorrow. Saturday, chilly as well, becoming mostly cloudy. So again, overcast, not a whole lot of sun. A little higher chance of a shower late in the game. And the wind will come around a little bit right off the lake, five to 10 miles an hour in from right field. And then finally, Sunday, Mother's Day, hopefully some people will be able to take advantage of being vaccinated and Wrigley being open again. Maybe take mom and the family out to the ballpark. Mostly cloudy again with a higher chance for rain, especially early on in the game. And Alexander tells us that there could be some risk for delay or postponement issues on Mother's Day, which is terrible. You don't want that to happen to mom, depending on the timing of the rain. It will be chilly in the low to mid 40s for the 120 start on Sunday. The wind will be in from right field, center field with 10 to 20 miles per hour and higher gusts. So Monday or Sunday, I beg your pardon, at Wrigley on Mother's Day, it could be a very chilly, very, very raw and rainy day at Wrigley. Um, Alexander, kind enough to provide to us a little bit of advice if you're thinking about going to Wrigley this weekend. The game to go to will be Friday. That will be the driest and probably the, one of the warmer games of the three. And he says that if you are considering going on Mother's Day, maybe spend the money on a nice bouquet of flowers or brunch for mom. Because again, it is going to be very cold. It is going to be very windy. And it may well be raining as well. Not the experience you want to give to mom on her special day. Looking ahead to the two-game series in Cleveland next week, he again describes the series vibe as the same cool Canadian air mass as our weekend in Chicago, uh, and so very similar. The Cubs play Tuesday night at what will be 5.10 Central Time, and that's going to be kind of odd. We don't get a whole lot of uh, 5.10 Central Time starts, even for the East Coast day games. 
uh, partly cloudy with temperatures in the low 50s to upper 40s and a light wind in from center field. And then Wednesday at the same starting time, 5, 10 central, very similar weather, cloudy in the low 50s and light wind in from center field, right field. Again, if you are thinking of maybe heading to Cleveland, making the drive over to Ohio, the game to go to will be Tuesday, as in his words. A uh, game to avoid could nitpick and say maybe there's a slight risk for a shower Wednesday, given the uncertainty six days out. But it is modeled to probably miss Cleveland. So if you're thinking of going to either game in Cleveland, you should have favorable, if chilly, weather for either game. And that is Alexander's write-up of the next two series. We appreciate Alexander Hall and his contributions. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Cubs Weather. Uh, and we hope to include this going forward as we cover yep. uh, upcoming series uh, on the podcast. We hope to have Alex contribute uh, some forecast information for the game so you know whether they might be affected or if you're thinking about going out to a game. Well, it's good stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm a big weather guy. I love it. Um, living here in Denver, we get a wide variety of weather and a whole ton of sun. So it's always neat to know what's coming up. I'm actually a little bit disappointed, though. A cool, wet weather for Mother's Day weekend. That's a bit of a bummer. Something that I really noticed on this homestand when they came back was how lush that ivy looks at Wrigley Field. It is thick. It's in there. It's dark green. That's when it's supposed to be sunny with the wind blowing out and uh, a lot of home runs hit out in Waveland and Sheffield. So disappointing to hear it's going to be cold and wet, um, but obviously a, a big opportunity for the Cubs here to take care of business and have an opportunity to set themselves up. They got some help this week, too, with the Brewers struggling, Cardinals having some issues with the Mets. So let it ride. Let's beat those buckos. And maybe the Cubs are sitting really good going into next week in Cleveland. And Ronan, you mentioned the Ivy. I think back to something I was told some years ago, um, driving around for work a lot as I do and stopping at different places uh, a while back, a very long while back, as it'll, it'll date itself as I mentioned the player involved. But uh, I must have walked into an establishment wearing a Cubs shirt perhaps. And uh, the gentleman behind the counter, he saw my Cubs shirt. He, he you know, said, go Cubs. And he told me, it was right around this time of year, he told me, when the ivy starts to grow, Milton Bradley will put on a show. And I don't, I don't know that he was right about Milton Bradley, but uh, Ronan, as you said, this time of year, the weather starts to warm up. The Ivy starts to come in. Pat Hughes talks about the beautiful green Ivy. Wrigley comes alive in the summer. You get the blue skies, the green grass, the green Ivy, the, the perfect colors. And uh, yeah, hopefully it'll warm up here and we're not playing too many more games at Wrigley in these, uh, these uh, October Bears vibe conditions. Yeah, that, that's Jeremy sitting out at the Soldier Field normally. And you two are always underdressed. So if it's cold and the three of us are going hey, to a I've, game. I've, been, I've gone to, what, six games? I've been fine pretty much every game. No, both, you're both a shivering times. through the game. You're uncomfortable. I, always, all, I all go to all those up. Bears games. I know how to layer. Randall's <laughs> the one who doesn't even wear a jacket. I, I am guilty as charged. Sometimes I regard. don't have enough layers, I will agree. But I've always tried to prep. But I felt pretty fine mostly. I am, I am guilty as charged. I will admit that. I do underdress for cold temperatures sometimes, but uh, that's okay. I handle cold a lot better than I do heat. And, you know, there's a little side discussion here. Obviously, being in Chicago, talking weather, you can experience a very wide range of conditions at Wrigley over the course mm -hmm. of the season from April through to September. Ronan, Jeremy, do you prefer going to ball games more in the summer when it is just sticky, oppressive, gross, or do you prefer it being a, a little cooler, a little chillier as it is this week? 
I, I, I like the variety. It's one of the things I like about baseball. Opening day in the cold, if it's 80 degrees at opening day, like it was a couple years ago, that's not right to me. Like you're supposed to be cold. I mean, the question should be, is it flurrying on opening day? It's fun seeing the ballpark evolve over the course of the season as well, from the, the dead or or, you know, rejuvenated Ivy starting in April into May. And then if you get a season that goes into October, it turns red. And that's one of the coolest things that growing up, we didn't get to see a lot of the red Ivy at Wrigley Field because the Cubs weren't playing very deep into October regularly. So I like the changes. I mean, I my ideal weather is a night where you got jeans and a hoodie and it's cool, like a September night when the Cubs are in it. That's a lot of fun, especially if they're playing for something meaningful. But I like the wide variety. Give me that humid July day or August day at the ballpark where you got a malt cup. Give me that opening day where you're freezing. Um, all of that is part of the fun of Wrigley Field. And it's one of the things I like about Denver, too, is you get a little bit of everything here. Cold days early in the year, snow, and then a lot of warm days as you get through the summer as well. Well, for me, it depends on where I'm sitting. If I'm in the bleachers, I don't want it to be like a 95-degree day where it's hot wherever there's nothing covering you. But other than that, I, 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 I generally will choose a little bit warmer. Um, I don't like it too hot though. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I could go without having to bring so many layers like I've brought these past few games and not having, you know, I'll take an 80 degree day on opening day. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shoot that down. So that's how I feel. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to buck the trend a little bit here. I like it a little bit cooler at Wrigley. As I said, I handle. Well, you just cool. said you handle cold. I handle cool a lot better than I handle hot. I don't mind going to Wrigley in short sleeves because again, you can always layer to ward off the cold. You can drink a hot chocolate. Uh, and of course, hot chocolate tastes uh, better at Wrigley than anywhere else on the planet, even though you don't consider it a ballpark food. You, you can't layer to ward off heat. You got to do a whole lot more to cool yourself down than you have to do to warm yourself up. So uh, there's certainly nothing wrong with a perfect 80 degree day at Wrigley, but I don't mind these cooler nights. And Ronan, you mentioned those cool nights at Wrigley in September uh, and you know, the Ivy starting to turn red a little bit. Maybe the Cubs are in contention, but they've got some of the uh, minor league call-ups out there on the field, maybe because they've already clinched. And there, there's nothing quite like that feeling of those cool September nights at Wrigley. It's fun when they're good. It's fun when they're good for sure. Yeah. Um, one other thing I, I wanted to say here too, we we're talking about Mother's Day. We tip our caps to a lot of folks on this show, former Cubs, broadcasters, people across baseball, Ray, all these people in our lives that matter. We got to tip our caps to moms. And I got to say, let me start with mine. Uh, MVM growing up, most valuable mom. She's a big reason too. I'm a Cubs fan taking me and my brothers out to the ballpark. She's a granny now, all that good stuff. So happy Mother's Day, mom. I also want to give a shout out to the two other moms, Mrs. Spector, Barry, one of the biggest fans of this show, Barry, I'm sorry. I thought it was Barry, uh, Barry. One of the things that she does is she retweets this show. She tweets into the show and it's very appreciated. And as for Mrs. Sanders, I'm remiss to say one of the great regrets I have in my life is Randall doesn't let me talk to his mother. He doesn't let me spend much time with her. All I want to do is thank her for producing the wonderful son that we all have. Randall's everybody's son. But uh, it is one of those things that makes me sad that she's not someone that I can, you know, chat with on Mother's Day. He's a son oh, that's shining. That's me. I'm a, I'm a son that's shining. Well, Ronan, I, I'm sure if my mother, uh, my wonderful mother, who, again, I tip my hat to, as Ronan said, I'm sure if she had a chance to talk to you more, she would uh, get nothing but enjoyment from the experience. Yeah, and and I Barry, obviously, yeah, I w yes, I want to obviously jump piggyback on that. Happy Mother's Day to all our moms. Uh, 
my mom, obviously, who Ronan mentioned, listening to the today, calling me up, cracking up about a maskless, pantless man in Taco Bell. So <laughs> just laughing it up. And so clearly getting it out there. So uh, thank you, mom, for listening. And to all the other moms, uh, Mary on this podcast, who's driven me to multiple Cubs games over the years, you know, starting 20 years now almost. And to Randall's mom for producing this wonderful man, obviously. So oh, yes. all the happy Mother's Days. And, and on, the he, topic, on the topic of Cubs and Mother's Day, uh, Javier Baez hit a walk-off home run wearing the, uh, the pink undershirt, the pink bats. Uh, Mother's Day 2016, I was fortunate enough to be in the ballpark with my mother. Wow. So that's a, a very nice Mother's Day Cubs memory. And well, before, I we will... go, before we go any further, uh, tweet us uh, any great memories you have uh, with your mom's Mother's Day and the Cubs at BTYL podcast on Twitter. Tell us what kind of weather you like at the ballpark. Tweet us memories of uh, the Cubs with your mom. Any kind of thoughts you have, go right ahead at BTYL podcast on Twitter. And I got to say too, um, for Ms. Mrs. Spector, I'll be having a tab in your honor this weekend. I'll have <laughs> to go find one, pop it in the fridge, make sure it's ready to go. Um, They're running I'm a little out, bit sad. They, they stopped the production. I know. I know. It's, it's kind of the end of an era for her. So I know it's a big thing. So happy Mother's Day to all the moms. I'm bummed. I'm not going to be home we this have weekend. Like a stockpile in my garage. That's just like, I don't know when it's ever going to get breaking into probably 30 years from now. It just keeps growing this huge stockpile of tab that my mom just have to keep have to save. But we appreciate the moms. They uh, they do a bang up job all the time. And it is very, very appreciated. We're going to shift gears a little bit from the Major League Cubs down to the farm system. We wish a hearty welcome back to minor league baseball after taking the entirety of the 2020 season off due to the ongoing pandemic. Minor league baseball opened their doors again this past week to fans safely distanced, masked, and ready to enjoy minor leaguers chasing their dream of making it to MLB someday. In the interim, were they wearing pants? Were they? Wearing- they were masked. Were they wearing pants? I certainly hope they were they're wearing masks and pants. That's usually a requirement for getting into minor league ballparks. But you know, the great thing about the minor leagues is that there is a uh, uh, room for people of all, all sizes and all everything. Uh, some changes to minor league baseball in the, uh, the interim, the long off season, minor league baseball previously operated as a separate, but linked entity to major league baseball. And during the lost pandemic year, That was reorganized considerably. Major League Baseball now has direct control of minor league baseball. And with that came a fair bit of shifting and shuffling and eliminating. The number of minor league teams was cut down to, I believe, 120. Every organization now has four minor league teams where they previously had five or in some cases even six. Every minor league organization now has a triple A team, a double A team, a high A team, and a low A team. The short season uh, lowest A ball what level was eliminated. Some of those teams are now simply low A. Some lost their affiliation completely. Teams also, of course, operate a rookie league at their complexes in Florida and in Arizona. And uh, unfortunate to say, some formerly affiliated minor league teams did lose their affiliation. Some have signed on with independent leagues, and some have joined newer leagues as uh, draft Draft showcase leagues, prospect leagues, and Jeremy's going to tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so one of the newer uh, leagues under the auspices, I guess, of the major league uh, controlling minor league baseball is the MLB Draft League, which is a league now of uh, six teams that were former uh, teams that couldn't find affiliate for whatever reason. You got some short season 
teams in the New York Penn League. You have a couple double A teams on uh, the Eastern League, Carolina League. So it's a, a group of six teams that are all mostly around Pennsylvania. I would say the Mid Atlantic, around Pennsylvania, New Jersey, West Virginia, Maryland, even into Ohio a little bit. So what this league basically is is it's going to take college eligible or excuse me draft eligible uh, players, mostly probably from college, though I, I believe high schoolers might be eligible for that this as well. And they're going to play a 68 game season against each other. Uh, so it'll, it'll be mostly like a competitor for like a Cape Cod league, uh, which I would ex- anticipate will still probably get some of like the top end guys. But I, I, I think this will be a good league where you'll see a lot of mid round talent guys who probably can even play themselves into upper talent uh, really getting to compete against each other because in other wood bat leagues, summer leagues, they're picking guys basically from all uh, levels uh, of college, you know, freshmen, sophomores who are not eligible, but this is going to be a league that's focused on solely draft eligible players. So you'll see, you'll be able to see guys up against each other for an entire summer. So MLB teams will be able to say, look, these guys all competed against each other. And we know, you know, how they did against each other when they're rating it for the draft. So it'll be a good to have that, you know, as opposed to like, well, he's playing against this guy, but this guy's not eligible until next year. He's only a freshman. You know, you could have a college junior jumping on a freshman. You know, what, how much does that tell you? You don't know. But when it's a, you know, they're the same level, it, it gives you a little bit much. So it's just an interesting little thing that MLB has. And I, I'm assuming that most scouts are pretty happy about it. See a bunch of guys also in the same locations. So you don't have to travel across the country. Jeremy, that's a great breakdown. Thank you. And I know you follow the minor leagues very closely. Um, uh, just to give you a little bit of insight on how this has affected the Cubs farm system, they went relatively unchanged. They are still at AAA Iowa Cubs, an affiliation that has lasted decades now. The AA Tennessee Smokies remain as well, as do the South Bend Cubs and the Myrtle Beach Pelicans. The biggest shift is that the South Bend Cubs and the Myrtle Beach Pelicans have actually swapped levels. Previously, where the Myrtle Beach Pelicans were the high A team, and the South Bend Cubs were just the A-ball, kind of the middle A team. That has now changed. The South Bend Cubs are now the high A team, and the Myrtle Beach Pelicans are now the low A team. And that is very exciting for fans in the Chicago area because you're going to see a very good class of prospect moving through South Bend, where previously you had a lot of guys who were just out of short season ball. Uh, But now you're going to see guys who are a little more polished, maybe a little more closer to making that next step to top prospect. And that's exciting. And elsewhere in the Chicago area, one other change, the Kane County Cougars, who were an institution in the far west suburbs for many years. I know I went to Kane County Cougar games growing up. I know our good friend Ryan McVane uh, has been to more than his fair share of Cougars games living out west as he does. His three sons will no doubt grow up going to Cougars games. They sadly are no longer affiliated. Uh, They were affiliated with the Cubs briefly. They've been in the Diamondback system the last couple of seasons. Sadly, they did lose that affiliation, but they caught on with the Independent American Association, and now they play in the same independent league as the Chicago Dogs, who are a fun experience as well. So Chicago land area fans have uh, a number of options if they'd like to see some independent ball, which is usually a lot of fun for not a lot of money if you happen to be in one of those areas. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big indie ball guy. I, and I called it, I worked for the Rockford Riverhawks many years ago, calling those games. It was rough at the time in the frontier league. I've got a very big soft spot for the Kane County Cougars. And I had an internship with them back in college, got an opportunity to do a little bit of everything, ticket sales, group sales, 
uh, working the concession stands, broadcasting some games, doing some on-field promotions and tarp work. Even got to be Ozzy the Cougar for a day uh, out at a Little League baseball game, and it was awesome. I was in rough shape that day. I remember I had been partying the night before. I was feeling pretty rough the next morning. It was about one of those 95-degree July humid days, and I'm in the Ozzy T. Cougar mascot hanging around a Little League baseball game. But a really soft spot for them. They're a wonderful organization. They provide great value in the area. Um, I will say I am pumped, though, for minor league baseball this year. It's awesome to have it back. It's nice to see the teams out there. I just jumped on the online package for MILB TV. It's $40 for the year. 5,000 minor league games streamed this year at all different levels. It was really cool today just jumping back and forth between Iowa and seeing what's going on with some of the uh, South Bend, for example, or the Pelicans. It's just neat to be able to jump around and see these teams and some of these up-and-coming prospects. So if you are a baseball fan, you got $40 to drop for the rest of the year. Minor League Baseball TV, it's becoming a really, really engaging product. It's not the same as the majors. The video quality is certainly higher at the higher levels, AAA, which for the Cubs this year, that's not really the team where there's a whole lot of excitement right now. But the quality is very good of those broadcasts, and it's just nice to see what's going on. This was something 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Could you imagine live streaming HD footage of every single Cubs minor league game from your phone? That's awesome. And that's one of the things that's great about this evolution of technology. Yeah, and just to add to what you're saying a little bit, the Iowa Cubs are actually on marquee today. So, uh, and they will be tomorrow night, I believe, as well. So, you know, you're going to get to see that as well. And to piggyback a little bit off what Randall said, talking about how the uh, independent leagues, but part of this new whole thing with minor league baseball is these independent leagues are uh, the the higher end ones, the American Association, or excuse me, the Frontier League, the independent, yeah, the American Association, the Atlantic League, League, they're now all partner leagues with, major league baseball and MLB baseballs. They have kind of the ability to now more acquire more players from those leagues than they did in the past. Um, so th- it's, it's a little bit, they now have a partnership with these leagues. So they're still, they're kind of, it's not true independent ball in the sense of like, they're completely separate total divided walls as it used to be. Now they're kind of, you know, they're not affiliated. They don't, you know, you're not going to see guys being sent there. But, you know, they have the ability to kind of bring get more guys in. They, they, they'll be able to operate somewhat more of a talent pipeline for MLB. And that's, that's good for those players because independent ball, uh, you know, the goal of a lot of those players is to get back into or to get into affiliated ball and uh, hopefully make their way to the majors someday. As Jeremy mentioned, Marquis finally making use of all that air, t- those television hours they have, taking time away from showing uh, tennis, I guess. They will show... Uh, Iowa Cubs games this season Um, and in fact the first one was tonight against Indianapolis and they'll do it tomorrow again uh, May 7th 7 p.m. against the Indianapolis Indians so you can tune into Marquee and you can listen to Alex Cohen the fine voice of the Iowa Cubs bring you Iowa Cubs baseball from Des Moines where as the ad read says the S's are silent but the city (laughs) is buzzing and Pat Hughes read that read on the radio the other day and then he made a, a little buzzing sound to go with it. And Ron Coomer, uh, always on the ball. He asked Pat if he had gone to Des Moines on the off day because uh, Pat was still buzzing. So uh, tune into Marquee, tune into those Iowa Cubs games, see uh, a, a couple guys who could potentially find their way up this year. Cameron Babin just yeah. hanging out down there. Yeah. That was, it was cool seeing, see. you know, Abbott pitching tonight, the guy who could yeah. be in the mix for the Cubs here soon. Um, but every time I think of Des Moines, 
I just think a rod back in the RV, have the yeah. time of his life. The, the, shooter his shack, <laughs> the shooter shack to explain to our listeners who might not have been aware of the shooter shack late in Rod Beck's career as he was rehabbing at AAA Iowa. Uh, Rod Beck, he would live in an RV parked in the stadium parking lot. Uh, he called it the shooter shack shooter, of course, being Rod Beck's nickname. And he had a light up alcohol sign on the front of that RV. And when it was lit, fans were welcome to come by and share a beer and, and listen to Rod Beck hold court. And uh, just one of those great things you find in the minor leagues when you have uh, veterans rehabbing down there and making good use of their time and resources. Well, it, it's something too that I think is worth noting is that Rod Beck dominated when he was an Iowa Cub and that that was 2003 the Cubs obviously won the division that year ended up the NLCS but when I look back on regrets from that season Rod Beck not getting a chance back with the 03 Cubs I just wish it could have happened 21 appearances 30 and two-thirds innings 26 strikeouts a 0.59 ERA living in a van down by the river in Des Moines get that man to Wrigley he ended up going to the Padres got back to the major leagues to his credit Um, but I just was one of those things where you see him doing well the bullpen's always a place where you got room for another guy if he's pitching well it's just too bad Beck couldn't make it back to the Cubs in 2003 and a tip of the cap the late great Rod Beck one of those ball players we lost way way too early uh, after his playing career was over Ronan as you mentioned AAA Iowa maybe not the most prospect laden team in the Cubs organization this year that comes at the lower levels and for your listening entertainment we the members of the behind the yellow line podcast have identified some of our favorite prospects to keep an eye on this season uh, so we each have one, and we also have a write-in candidate uh, from the relative of somebody on the podcast. Now, we each identified our prospects ahead of time, just so we did not overlap. Jeremy, you are keeping yours under wraps. You did not identify yours other than to say it was not one of ours. So I'm going to kick it to you first. Who is your right. prospect to watch going forward? So I thought, you know, just seeing your guys' names. So I'm going to go with – there's kind of – you know, there's a, a little bit of a category here where I could have picked a few – guys that are all kind of similar in this category, but I'm going to go with the guy who had a big night last night. I'm going to go with, he was number 22 in the level below, but now he's number 24. Uh, Cam Sanders, the Sanders man, sometimes called the candy man, uh, Cam Sanders. Uh, he came out last night. He pitched really well. Uh, five innings, you know, seven strikeouts, one walk, but I'm going to get our, no hits, but I'll give you a little history of Cam. So Cam, you know, coming out of Louisiana, he uh, went to a junior college in Florida and he's always kind of had stuff, but he's never really had command or control, just walking tons of batters in junior college he transfers back home to LSU. He's got great stuff. He's like 92, 96. He's got a spike curveball, but LSU can't really, you know, control it. So they put him in the bullpen. He's pitching out of the pen. He's just, he's got great stuff. He strikes out a ton of batters, but he, he walks, he walks a ton of batters. He was actually drafted out of, junior college, I believe in the 18th round by the Padres, but uh, transferred to LSU and the Cubs, the Cubs take him, uh, I think in the 12th round. And, you know, here's a guy, they take him, they put him down the lower levels. He's once again, he's just basically just walking everybody he sees. He's just either walking or striking out and he's coming out of the bullpen uh, for the Cubs in the lower levels in uh, Arizona. And then Eugene, you know, teams that don't exist anymore. They exist, but not in the, the way they exist now uh and you know you're like well maybe he's got the stuff but he can't control it he can't do it he gets a chance 
a little bit. They moved him to the rotation to really start in South Bend in 2019. And, you know, he doesn't give up a lot of runs. He has a solid ERA, 294 ERA, but he's still walking a ton of guys. And he's, you know, the strikeouts aren't, aren't really there when he's starting. So now you're basically off two years, right? Because of the pandemic. So he's a guy who, through the pandemic, I don't, you know, he's working on it. Now his stuff, like I said, was 92, 96. Now it's, he, he's working on it. He's got his fastball up to 98. And he had basically a spike curveball that now he's kind of added like as a power curveball. So he's throwing a ton. And, you know, you see last night and the Cubs are trying to mold him more. We'll see in a starter, but he could, I think he could be an electric reliever uh, with a two pitch mix like that. And so last night he comes out, he throws the first five innings for the Tennessee Smokies of the season. Right. And he doesn't give up a hit. And even more <laughs> than that, he gives up only one walk. This is a guy who, if you look at his walk numbers, like he pitched what he pitched. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. He pitched uh, 15 games in 2018 for the Eugene Emeralds. He was walking eight batters per nine innings. That's walks. He was striking out 13, but he was walking eight last night. He throws five innings as a starter. He has one walk. He has seven strikeouts. He has no hits. He's pumping 98. He's throwing that curve. So, I mean, there's a few other guys that are kind of in this category. Another one's Riley Thompson, who the Cubs drafted out of Louisville. Some other guys that are kind of like that. But I wanted to pick the guy last night who, you know, got off to a really hot start. And so I'm, I'm here for number San, for Sanders, the Sandman. So I, I think Cam Sanders could be a big guy for the Cubs, you know, at least maybe as a bullpen arm. But, you know, the Cubs don't have, haven't had guys like that, developing them, throwing hard, having the curveball. So maybe they can develop into a starter. Maybe he can continue on that path. So we'll see how he goes. Well, he's got to fix the number. He's got to go back to 22. He's got to go back to 22, right? He's 24 now at Tennessee. I agree with yeah, that. You know, I, I, saw, I saw the post last – I saw the post about his outing last night from the good people at Bleacher Nation. They used a photo of him from South Bend at 2019. And there's the Sanders number 22 jersey, my, my preferred jersey number on the mound. I, I had to share it. I can't not share it. Uh, so Jeremy's guy, Cam Sanders, pitcher for the AA Tennessee Smokies right now. Ronan, who is your guy to watch? Ironically enough, Randall, my guy sounds like your guy. You're a big Marvel guy. You're the comic book man, comic Sanders, comic Crandall, all those good things we've called you over the years. Right-handed pitcher, the 23-year-old who started actually tonight for South Bend, Max Bain is the minor leaguer that I wanted to uh, mention. So thank you for clarifying that. Uh, Bain is a DC, not a Marvel. Bain is a Uh, DC, not a Marvel. uh, A Batman villain. Fantastic, Sometimes fantastic when I ask, you got to know your spiders. You got to know which spiders are DC, which spiders are Marvel. I see. I know nothing about the comic verse. And sometimes when I ask Randall questions about the comic verse, it gets a little testy with me. He thinks I'm pushing his buttons. But Max Bain is a guy who's been pushing the right buttons for the last year. A really, really interesting story. This is a guy who was a Division II mediocre college pitcher at Norwood University up by Kern in Michigan. Guy was sitting middle of the 80s, didn't have much mid-four ERA in college. Ends up getting out of baseball, is undrafted, and begins working on his body. He was, uh, his words, not mine, overweight. He was pushing 300 pounds. In the last two years, he's dropped 
about 70 pounds to get down to around 230 right now. And in that time, he's increased his fastball velocity to the high 90s. He is one of these guys who's been working out in the pitch lab. He's a driveline product. And a really interesting tie-in to him is he's got a connection to a former Cubs first-round pick. Luke Haggerty is one of the guys who's been mentoring him and getting him really into shape and rechanging the way that he pitches. Fastball's the primary pitch. He's got a changeup. He's doing that slider-cutter thing as well. And this is a very compelling guy. One, to see a complete turnaround. He's just 23 years old. And two, I love the connection to Luke Haggerty, who was a guy who had all the upside in the world, never really figured it out, and then popped up like two years ago, suddenly back in the Cubs system, trying to make it back to the majors. So I love the story here with Bain. It was wild tonight. That's one of the concerns with him right now are the walks. But his first pitch of the ballgame this evening, 98 miles per hour for South Bend. So I think this is a guy worth watching, keeping an eye on. and He's got a badass name. Max Bain, a guy to watch in the Cubs system. And I just want to add also in that time where you're talking about him making up, he lost 50 pounds. He was like yeah. pushing three bills. He was like, Oh, exactly. As I said, yeah, and, he's down 70 oh, pounds now. Oh, you said 70. I'm sorry. My bad. I, I yeah. must have missed that. But like, that's incredible that he was able to rework himself like that. And now he's got like, you know, a body to really, and he's six, five. So he's a big dude. Mm-hmm. The maximum, maximum possible amount of Bain for Max Bain. Ronan, that's good stuff. And Ronan, I believe you have a write-in candidate from one of your brothers, uh, yeah. a prospect to watch. Well, I'm certain it came from his daughter, uh, Tegan. I'm pretty sure she told him this, and then he relayed it to us like the Simpsons trivia she always gives us. But Tegan told Connor to tell us, Ethan Roberts, 23-year-old right-hander, the Cubs' fourth-round pick back in 2018. The thing that's interesting about Ethan Roberts is spin rate. He's among the best in all of minor league baseball. Connor was saying, you got the possibility of a Seth Lugo type, the Mets pitcher. This is really interesting, too. He throws 90 or rather 95 he hits also throws a lot of strikes. So a guy who puts a lot of spin on the ball, throws it hard, finds the strike zone. That's someone worth watching. Uh, Thank you, Tegan, for the feedback on that one. We'll see a lot of pitching here. And I think that theme and trend is continuing here for your guy, Randall. Ronan, you are correct for my guy. I give you the Cubs uh, second round pick last season out of Dallas Baptist university. uh, One of the alma maters of one Ben Zobrist. Burl Caraway, the left-handed pitcher who is starting the 2021 season at what is now High A South Bend. He was drafted last season. As I said, he spent a little bit of time at the alternate training site. Um, So he is a left-handed reliever, and he actually recorded his first professional save last night. He pitched one inning. He struck out one batter. Uh, Radar radar gun can be a little little dicey getting from some of the minor leagues, especially in the lower minors, but he was sitting in the mid-90s. And again, continuing our theme of pitching, he's a, a power reliever. And from the left side, you can never get too many of those. And he's a guy you could very much see contributing in the bullpen sooner versus later. Uh, I wouldn't think so much this year necessarily just because it is his first real professional season, but maybe as early as the middle part of next season. If the Cubs feel he has uh, nothing left to prove, you only have so many bullets in the gun, you could see him up in the major league bullpen and contributing from the left side. And it is good to see um, the Cubs adding velocity to the system. For a number of years, they kind of focused on more pitchability guys, guys who were upper 80s, low 90s, who couldn't really run it up there. But between Burl Caraway, between Ryan Jensen, between Michael McAveen, who they took out of Louisville in 2019, uh, and we just mentioned Max Bain, Cam Sanders, these are all guys who throw 
in the mid to upper 90s. And it's good to see them getting some velocity into the system because it seems like every major league bullpen has two or three guys who rush it up there at 96 or higher this time. And it's good to see the Cubs taking guys and developing guys who can throw with some velocity. And hopefully these are all players who will be able to contribute to the big league bullpen in the next couple seasons. So it is great to have minor league baseball back. Uh, again, we wish all of the affiliates in the Cubs system and throughout minor league baseball uh, a safe and uh, a productive season. And it, it's great to have minor league baseball back. It's great to get updates from across the Cubs system every night. And uh, one user I, I would like to recommend people follow is at Cubs Central 08. That is uh, Todd, one of the great minor league Cubs writers on Twitter. He's on the Cubs system every night. He's posting video. He's keeping track of what's going on throughout the minor leagues. So I recommend that follow very highly if you are interested in the Cubs minor league system. Again, that is at Cubs Central 08 on Twitter. So uh, again, it's great to have minor league baseball back. And it's great to have these updates on the young players coming in every night. Yeah, and I just wanted to go back a little bit with what you're saying about uh, velocity. And the Cubs over this past two years, they've been getting guys. They've added a lot of velocity to guys, too. That They have guys that are pushing out a couple of names you didn't mention. Like, obviously, Braylon Marquez got himself in shape. But another big guy coming from the uh, big arm coming from the left side. And then another name is uh, Yuri Ramos, who's pushing – who's up now throwing like 99 100 and uh you know he's down in low a right now but he's another guy who's had a ton of velocity so that's a name to we'll see if if uh come up uh in the future i mean as he moves up and progresses well throwing that hard so there's there's a lot of guys now i guess the cubs have added some velo to and they're throwing hard and again that's that's, that's good to see you know pitchability guys who sit in the upper 80s there's there's never not value in guys if you believe they can pitch but there's also no, no substitute for velocity, guys who can run it up there and get swings and misses on those great fastballs. So it's good to see the Cubs doing that. So a, a bit of a transaction note from just yesterday. In fact, uh, old friend Pedro Strope, who was with the organization, he made two appearances for the Cubs earlier this season. He has elected free agency as the minor league season has begun. Uh, it seems he didn't want to go pitch at AAA. The Cubs, for whatever reason, do not have a spot in the bullpen for him right now. And so they have, both parties have amicably elected to part ways. There is no hard feelings between the two. Um, everybody seems happy with the decisions. Both Strope and the Cubs are open to him returning in some capacity down the line, whether that's as a player. Strope has indicated his desire. He'd love to return as a coach or instructor, an ambassador down the line when his playing career is over. So uh, good that there's no hard feelings. It's always sad to see Strope go even if he was only back for a short amount of time, but you hope he catches on somewhere else and has himself a, uh, a great rest of the season. Yeah, fairly well, Pedro Strope. We've talked so much about him. Big part of the Cubs' success here in the last decade. One of the most likable Cubs, I think, in the last decade. So whatever he wants to do, go for it. I hope he can land a spot. I, I don't miss him in the sense that I'm not sure he's got a whole lot left to contribute to this Cubs bullpen. And I'd rather those innings go to younger guys like Justin Steele, who was doing his thing here this week. Um, but I wish him well. And I do hope he's a regular at Wrigley Field, you know, after his playing career is over, because he was one of the great Cubs relief pitchers of all time that and I mean that totally sincerely all-time Cubs history Pedro Stopes up there near the top in terms of the most successful relievers ever and he better be remembered that way and the hat to the left thing I love personality in the game so he was a welcome addition to the Cubs yeah you're right uh definitely Pedro uh all-time great Cubs reliever 
Um, I was a little surprised uh, when he came up this year. He performed a little bit better. I mean, he's only two appearances, but he performed a little, a little bit better than, uh, than I expected him to. Uh, he, he he showed a little bit more, but you know, I assume he had an opt out in his contract, and he's not going to want to sit around if they're not going to call him up. I, based on those two performances, somebody might give him a shot. So uh, he he probably opted out, and he's going to look around and see if he can uh, play somewhere else. But uh, it, it's 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 bittersweet, obviously when you see a guy like that go, but uh, hopefully, as you mentioned, he can come back in the future at some point. That's cool too, Randall. You mentioned uh, maybe being a pitching coach or something like that. Always interesting. What guys are currently on the team that you're like, well, I wonder if they'd be interested in coaching or if they'd be a good fit. Like David Ross, the whole time he was a player, you're like, okay, this guy's going to go and manage like Joe Girardi. It just kind of seemed like that was assumed that it was coming. Um, you know, you look at the Cubs roster right now and you wonder, okay, who here may end up being a good fit. I will say though, that looking at the White Sox coaching staff, given the debacle they had this week with Tony La Russa, not knowing the rules to the season right now, and really at helping cost them a ball game against the Reds. I'm amazed at how many coaches are listed on major league staffs right now. The Chicago White Sox have 16 people listed on their coaching and main staff. So if that's the case, Pedro Strope, there's going to be a job for you somewhere. There's more and more coaches on these teams than I can ever remember. It's unbelievable. Absolutely. Major league dugouts have added a a quality control coach in the last couple of years. You have strategy coaches, you have associate pitching coaches, you have uh, assistant hitting coaches. (laughs) We've made some, some expansions to the coaching staffs in the last few years. And Strope, uh, well-known for his ability to kind of calm down Javier Baez and get him to channel that ability in big spots, Strope would be a, a great guy to, to give one of those spots to at some point in the future as someone who can just talk to some of the younger players, settle them down, get them to focus, tell them you are good and you will win this game for us. So, you know, someday maybe he'll be a coach to the left. Well, that's where the big, uh, you know, uh, I guess innovation is not really the right word, but now you have every front office that basically values guys uh, the same way. So where are you going to get an edge? Where are you going to spend your money? Everybody's spending on coaching and development because they think, how are we going to get the best out of the guys we have? So, you know, you got a hundred coaches, you got all these strategy guys, you got all these development guys that, and that's, that's for the system, but it's also for the major league level. Like, you know, Craig driver is the first base coach. He's a, he's an expert on pitch framing. Basically he's, he's totally improved Wilson. He did with Karen TD and, you know, obviously other guys. So like you have Chris Young now in the bullpen as a bullpen coach, the Cubs, you know, they went out of their way to make moves in the bullpen coaching to try to get guys like that. We're getting, we're trying to get some development. We're trying to get some strategy. And so like that, that's kind of the explosion because there's no cap on spending on, uh, you know, coaches, there's no cap on spending on development. So whoever's going to really go after that, those are the ones they're trying to create an advantage. Oh, to- Tommy Ricketts has a cap on spending. Tommy there's Ricketts a cap does. on everything. Cap, <laughs> but the league, you know, damn well, you know, damn well, Jerry Reinsdorf has lots. Well, I'm just, all I'm lots saying is teams like the Dodgers, teams like the Astros previously, you know, teams like the Rays, obviously. They're the ones that obviously they're seemingly putting all this money into, you know, development and coaching. So like, I think feel like they're smart teams. So most teams should follow suit. Spending, Dodgers, spending caps to the left. You know, Dodgers, definitely a smart team. Randall, the king of the wit with some great one-liners out on Twitter here during this Dodgers series, including the observation that Mark Pryor, the pitching coach for the Dodgers, had more visits to the pitcher. What was your line there, Randall? Um, he, he as he's Mark, the pitching coach for the more Dodgers. More time on the mound at Wrigley this series 
than he did at the tail end of his Cubs career. Of course, 20, 2006 uh, was a, a shortened season for him due to injury. 2007, his last year in the Cubs organization, he started in the minor leagues and injury ended his season pretty quickly. So, you know, I, I was a little worried that might be taken as me ragging on Mark Pryor, which is never my intent because I have nothing but good memories of Mark Pryor dominating in 2003. But it is a, a little funny, a little haunting, a little bittersweet to see him now the pitching coach for the Dodgers constantly going back and forth to the mound out there in Wrigley, which he did not get a chance to do last year in his first year, I believe as the Dodgers pitching coach, as the Dodgers did not travel to Wrigley last year. So uh, something a little bit fun and a little bit haunting to see in this last series against the Dodgers. It's also good. We didn't get to see Brant Brown drop a ball out there. Who's also on the Dodgers coaching staff. But, you know, that's a good point. It's really cool to see these guys reinvent themselves. I mean, Mark Pryor did amazing things in baseball, 2003 in particular. He was one of the elite pitchers in the game. Obviously, injuries messed him up, and now he's one of the respected pitching coaches. Brant Brown, who made one of the worst errors in Cubs history in Milwaukee, is part of a world championship team in an organization. And, and it's cool to think that way about well, you know, maybe a couple of years from now, we'll see David Bodie as a hitting coach, or Duffy is maybe a guy who perhaps down the road wants to be some type of a coach. It's, it's neat to see those guys do it. The bench coach for the White Sox former Cub Miguel Cairo, who didn't apparently know the rule either and couldn't tell his boss, hey, we don't have to double switch for the pitcher here. But uh, it, it's always interesting, like I said, to, to see what players end up going that route. And um, so many names over the years, too. Mark McGuire had done some coaching, and, and it's Very cool to see that. Eddie coach. That's right. One year. That's right. We need Sammy. Sammy Another. Sosa back at yeah. Wrigley. Another former Cubs name, Larry Rothschild, is the pitching coach for the Padres right now. So these these names, they weave in and out of the tapestry of baseball, and they pop up again sometimes when you least expect it. Speaking of the tapestry of baseball, we'll turn back the clock a little bit as we slowly wind down today. It was 23 years ago today, uh, the young right-hander Kerry Wood pitched one of the greatest games in Major League history, the storied 20-strikeout game against the Astros at Wrigley. It, crazy to think it's been 23 years already. There were, I mean, yes, we're old and we're getting older every day and it's speeding up how quickly we're getting old. Uh, so many great memories about that team. I remember that day too. I was at, uh, what, not middle school, elementary school, maple. I guess. Yeah. Uh, no, oh, it was, it was pre-maple days. It was a Willowbrook day. No way. It was definitely no, I, before that. I'm pretty sure it was sixth grade. I'm pretty confident it was. I, I definitely, well, we got to pull out the math here. There's no way because we were, we were 11. 10 it would have been the last year because it was may it would have been right. the last year at we were definitely at willowbrook so i got picked it was up 98 so 11 I'm, i don't think I'm, that's right no I'm because like i pretty, well i, I just, remember being at maple so well maybe you're you wrong because back a year. maybe i was left back here because <laughs> i was i, was I remember being the same grade as you yeah, but I was leaving Willowbrook when my brothers, who were at Glenbrook South at the time, picked me up from Willowbrook to say, hey, normally I would just walk home. And they're like, look, you got to get home here. It was the sixth inning or something. And, you know, the Cubs needed to make it happen. I'll do the math here in a minute right, once maybe, I'm done talking. I mean, I I, but I'm certain I'm right on this. Okay. I, whatever, whatever the math is, it's elementary. Um, oh, look at Randall right on the right on the money, right on the money. You know, a lot has been said about Kerry Woods 20 strikeout game over the years. We're not treading any new ground here, but it's one of those performances that echoes throughout Major League history. Jim Deshays, of course, was on the call for the Astros that day. He speaks 
of what he saw from Kerry Wood that day, the, the unhittable pitches he was throwing. And it's one of those streams of highlights that just never gets old because you can watch the way some of those pitches were moving, some of those swings that a very good Astros lineup where they were just not touching. Uh, and again, it's, it's one of those performances that just never gets old, no matter how many times you watch it. Yeah, you know who was leading off that day for the Cubs? Tell us. Already mentioned on the podcast, Brant Brown. Again, time, time is a Leading flat off. circle. These names weaving in and out of uh, the history and the stories. Ronan, it looks like you're going to correct me. Maybe oh, I'm yeah. wrong. I'm, I'm wrong. You, oh, you are wrong. The, once again, the Indiana Hoosier here is the better educated over the Illini, better and he's got to do his math here. Um, so let's do some math, folks. Oh, maybe sure. I'm remembering when Brant Brown dropped the ball. We were at Maple in sixth grade, so. Well, that would make sense. And here's the reason why, because the beginning of that season would have been the 97, 98 academic year, which was fifth grade for us. The Kerry Wood 20 strikeout game was in May. The Brant Brown drop ball was in September. That would have been the 98, 99 academic year, which was sixth grade and Maple. And once again, the Hoosiers defeat the Illini in a shutout. It's shutout. I might be, I might be confusing the two. Well, you no. are because that's what the math shows. We, I'm just saying. The 97-98 academic year would have been fifth grade for us. That would have been the end of. I like how you needed a pen and uh, paper there to figure that out. I, really, really I got to do the down. math. I, I wanted to make. I, if you're going to be adamant as I was the minute you pushed back, I better be right. So I was able right. to prove that one. I, w- I remember the next day was like a rain uh, rain out. So they just replayed the day before. And I remember watching it the next day. Cause we were at school when it happened. Yeah. And I, but I just remember my brothers who I would always walk home. They pulled up in the Honda Accord and they're like, look, man, Carrie Wood's doing something magical. We got to get home. And because of that, I was able to see the last two innings or so. And Carrie would do it. One of the most dominant pitching performances, two hall of fame batters in that lineup, that Astros team won 102 games and Carrie Wood strikes out 20, the base hit error to Ori on the left side. Other than that, most dominant pitching performance of all time, yeah, I was especially say, given who he was playing. Not one of the most dominant, the most dominant, yeah. just, just absolute uh, 20 strikeouts against one, uh, one hit that could, as you said, might not have been a hit, no walks. And as you mentioned, you look at the roster, look at every other 20 strikeout game or elite, you know, pitching a matchup, uh, a game. They're not against rosters like the Astros that year, the Astros, had, as he said, two All-Famers. They had other All-Stars. Moises Alou, I believe, was on that team, right? He's an All-Star. Uh, uh, Derek Bell. Uh, so, like, that was not just a weak team besides outside of two All-Famers. That was a, uh electric team. And, uh, you know, I, I think it was, you went up against Shane Reynolds, who also got off to a pretty hot start that day and turned to striking out batters. But, uh, you know, got it done. Sandy Martinez called a great game. Kerry Wood, 23 years ago today, his famous 20 strikeout game. Tip of the hap, tip of the cap to Kerry Wood, one of the great Cubs of all times. One more nugget as we bring it home here today, Ron and Jeremy. I know you both love nuggets, big fan of the nugs. Uh, speaking of the all-time greats, the Angels made news this morning, Thursday morning, as they designated Albert Pujols for assignment. Uh, he's in the final year of that massive 10-year contract he signed, um, and they designated him for assignment today with the intent to release him. It sounds like Pujols was not happy with a decision to sit him against a pitcher against whom he'd had some success. 
And the Angels decided, well, if you're not happy being a bench player, you can go start somewhere else. And so they somewhat unceremoniously released the future Hall of Famer this morning. And that surprised me a lot when I saw that news. It wouldn't have surprised me for him to have said, you know, I don't feel I can get it done anymore. And um, I'm on the last year of my contract. I'm going to retire. But to see them designate him for assignment like that, it really, really surprised me. Yeah, that wants to get paid. Well, and I think it, it leads me to believe, too, that he doesn't think he's done. Maybe there's a right. team that he thinks is going to give him a flyer here, you know, to keep going. Um, but he's done. <laughs> you know, there's not much there. It's, it's interesting. The Denver media here, since the news broke earlier today, has really been pushing. Look, we got nothing to lose. Our team is terrible. C.J. Cron is hogging up first base. Maybe we can bring him to Coors Field to sell some tickets as he tries to get closer to 700 home runs, although he's not going to reach that tally. So amazing career crushed the Cubs in his time. It was so nice to see him leave the division, but uh, it would be sad if he doesn't get a chance anywhere else. And that's the end of it because someone like him, a surefire hall of famer, you'd like to see him go out with something better than a a cut like that. Yeah. It was both surprising. Uh, I guess it would be, I guess I want to say it was like shocking, but not surprising because based on his play, you almost kind of like, it's like, well, why now, you know, they could have done this last year. They could have done it a year before, but now he's in the final year of his contract. Uh, so really, on no matter what, they're on the hook for all of it. But, uh, you know, the man obviously thinks he's not done, uh, El Hombre. And uh, he, you know, he still wants to get paid. He's not going to retire and, and let all of that money just go off the hook, pull an animal Roche. Uh, but, uh, you know, the one spot they've been, you know, some people have been kind of trying to put out there which I, I don't know, it would be on the south side of Chicago here where we got some holes, we got we need some some bats, uh, bring them back with Tony La Russa. So that would be an interesting thing, uh, see if anything comes of that. Although I have, I, I Bob Nightingale was reporting no chance, and usually you know how we all feel about Bob Nightingale, but Bob Nightingale's got a direct line to Jerry Reinsdorf, and we all know that Reinsdorf gets what Reinsdorf wants. Which is so, so perfect for Nightingale to have his the one thing on which he's correct. <laughs> is Jerry Reinsdorf's Chicago White Sox as run by Tony LaRusso. Right. Right. So, uh, so, you know, but that would be an interesting fit, you know, because the White Sox, as we've said, they've lost some bats. They have some holes. They have some spots open, you know, maybe hell, maybe you could put them out in center field. Ken Williams once said that center field is the easiest position to play in the outfield when they acquired Ken Griffin Jr. Who people were like, Oh, it's too old to be out there in center. He's like, no, you don't have to run that much because you know, the other guys take care of it. I don't know if Kevin Kiermaier agrees stealing balls from uh, Randy Rosarena, but uh, that's something else. But uh, it would be an interesting fit if uh, Albert came to the south side. You know, they say Albert couldn't play center field, to which I say any player can be a center fielder if you have him stand in center field. So hopefully the White Sox consider that. I'll give you some Pujols numbers here. The career numbers are eye-popping. He's played in 2,886 career games. He has a, a lifetime batting average of 298, on base 376, slugging 545, a career OPS of 921. Although interestingly, he has not had an OPS over uh, 800 since 2012. He OPS 859 in 2012, and he hasn't cracked that 800 mark since. But the career home runs 667, 2112 RBI. Uh, he is uh, a menace. He was a menace to most of the league and parents. Uh, I know listening to behind the yellow line is a family experience. You're going to want to cover your kids ears for this next part. His career numbers against the Cubs. I, again, I'm sorry to bring you this information. I know there's a lot of trauma involved. 
in his career, he played in 185 games against the Cubs. He hit 57 home runs. He hit 297 on base at 398. He slugged 613. That's an OPS of 1,011, 146 RBI against the Cubs. He was a terror, a menace. When the Cardinals would roll into town, you'd board up the windows and hope for the best. Um, as I, I like to say, he hit 667 home runs in his career, and all 800 of them were against the Cubs. But since he's moved out, out west to Anaheim, he's been like a tornado over open farmland. I can kind of enjoy him and watch the spectacle of nature without with, knowing he's not hurting anybody, or at the very least, he's not hurting my team. Well, he's hurting the Angels. Well, you know, that's their problem, not mine. He's so Albert Pujols, whatever he chooses to do, he, you know, he'll probably try and catch on with another team, but a great player, uh, an advocate for uh, people with certain disabilities. And I can say this now with the advantage of the distance of time and ge geography, all the best to Albert going forward. Amazing career. Uh, it has not been good since 2017. You know, the war's going the wrong direction at this point. But he's a guy kind of like Miguel Cabrera that the first 10 years of their career, much more indicative of why they're Hall of Famers than what the last couple of years have been like. It's been ugly down the stretch here for Albert. We'll see if maybe a team like the Rockies give him a chance. But at his peak, those early to mid-2000s years, unbelievable player. And he was one of those guys that there are certain players that the ball sounds different coming off the bat. He was one of them. And he did a lot of that at Wrigley Field, unfortunately, to hurt our Cubs. Yeah, definitely. And I, I saw him in um, uh, 2003 at the Home Run Derby. He hit, at the time, a record, I believe, 14 home runs in a round. And he, in a round, and he was just just lacing balls, just all in the same spot. Just kind of, It was just kind of crazy that the ball uh, went off. Actually, uh, uh, you know, if you want to check out, Eddie Vedder has a, a story, I believe, about Albert Pujols. Uh, the, the sound of the ball coming off his bat, as you uh, mentioned, he told this on uh, the show with uh, off the mound with Ryan Dempster. He said it cured like his earache. <laughs> it was so loud that he heard in the thing that because Albert Pujols hit the ball so loud that it just like knocked his ear back into place. And then he felt fine after that because he just couldn't believe how loud the ball was coming off of Albert Pujols' back when he was in the batting cages. I believe it. I believe it. And here's a totally random hook to move away from Pujols for a minute. Sometimes two pitchers have that same effect. The way the ball hits the catcher's mitt or glove it just sounds different. Kerry Wood kind of had that energy at his peak. Luke Haggerty, a guy that I mentioned earlier, first round pick for the Cubs back in 2002. When I was broadcasting games at the Rockford Riverhawks, independent ball in 2007, Cubs had gotten rid of him. He ends up in Rockford trying to catch on with the Frontier League team. Keep in mind, this is a big dude. He was six foot seven, long hair. He walked into Loves Park, Rockford, uh, Illinois, with the most beautiful baseball bag with the Cubs logo. And all the other guys had like cheap, dirty backpacks. And he, he just had that major league feel to him when he walked in. His first bullpen session at the ballpark was like nothing I've ever seen. One, all the people who crowded around to see it. And two, that sound. I'll never forget it. What did he do for the Riverhawks that year? He pitched an inning and a third and walked eight, and that was the end of his time with the Rock well, River Hawks. that was the problem with control. That, that was the problem. He could throw hard. He couldn't really control where it was going, but a guy who's been able to reinvent himself here later but, in life. But with also, but you know, you're talking about just having that sound and that ability that uh, stayed with him so much, the fact that he got a contract with the Cubs at age 37 yeah. because he went to an event at a driveline event, I believe, and he was throwing 97. 
And the Cubs are like, oh, my God, we've got to at least try to see what's going on with this guy. And then he had some arm issues. I think and he's, I think he's still kind of in the system a little bit, um, doing some things for the Cubs, not necessarily pitching, but helping out in other ways uh, as they brought him kind of back into the organization. But, you know, that, that doesn't go away. Uh, the guy's got talent. The only other sound like that that I can think of that's that distinct, Randall J. Sanders shuffling across a wood floor to get himself a fresh Gatorade at the end of a long summer night. It's just one of those sounds I'll never forget. Uh, another sound that uh, comes with velocity. <laughs> me, me going for that Gatorade, get, get out of the way. And that you getting is, away from me is off oh too yeah. fast. That's a fantastic place to leave this particular edition of Behind the Yellow Line. A thank you to our remote contributors, Alexander Hall of At Cubs Weather, Connor O'Shea and Tegan O'Shea, Tegan being the big minor league uh, writer that she is. And uh, again, follow at Cubs Central 08 for nightly recaps and video from the Cubs minor leagues. For Jeremy, for Ronan, I'm Randall Sanders. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. This is Behind the Yellow Line, and we'll see you again soon. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms.